and they essentially are in place to allow farmers to make sure that farmers can get a little bit of money in the event of a commodity crash. So if soybeans, corn, cotton, wheat, if the bottom falls out of that price, farmers can be assured that they'll have some kind of a downside. They'll manage their downside. So that's one part of the federal farm bill debate. The farm bill is debated every five years. Congress attempts to pass a federal farm bill. And of course, this year they're running late. So it looks like there'll be a one-year extension. So that's the top story today at johncombest.com. The second story is also based on federal government. And that's U.S. Representative Sam Graves, who represents the northwest part of Missouri, talks a little bit about the federal defense bill, essentially assuring Missourians that even though there's huge cuts, about $40 billion in cuts for the federal defense bill, Representative Graves assures Missourians that Missouri will see a lot of defense dollars coming its way. We, of course, have Whiteman Air Force Base, Fort Leonard Wood. So Graves is essentially saying, don't worry, Missouri, you'll get a bunch of money. The third story, and this is, I think, pretty interesting, the Post-Dispatch has a story by its reporter, Kurt Erickson, about a Secretary of State candidate and a, st- and a sitting state senator named Denny Hoskins, who's proposing that Missouri move to paper ballots and that Missouri do ballots by hand, count paper ballots by hand in the year uh, 2024. Actually, I believe it, I'm not sure if the proposal would, would ensure that the hand counting starts in 2024 or 2026, but essentially the Post-Dispatch reporter lambastes Denny Hoskins and says, quote, he wants to require ballots to be counted by hand mirroring unfounded allegations of election fraud pushed by former President Donald Trump and his allies. Wow. So clearly the Post-Dispatch reporter wants us to believe that Denny Hoskins, who the reporter describes as a, quote, hard right conservative, unquote, is up to something nefarious. This is another case of a liberal reporter or at, at very minimum a slightly progressive reporter thinking he's slamming a Republican and hurting a Republican when really most people, if you're in the St. Louis area or the St. Charles area or Franklin County and, you, and you're and you not really familiar with Denny Hoskins, if you see a liberal reporter slamming him and comparing him to Donald Trump, you're a little bit more likely to vote for him in a primary election. Really? So those are the top three stories. So now, is, is he a super right winger like the reporter said he was? He, yeah, he, I would. Yeah, I would describe him as conservative. I mean, today, if you believe in you know any sort of education updates, or you believe in you oppose critical race theory, you're going to be labeled as hard right. Well, now, now let me let me let me get this straight. You know, the 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 poster child for the extreme right is Tracy Ellis. How close is he to Tracy Ellis? Oh man, you know, I don't think he has any ties to Tracy, but I, I you know, I can't say for sure. Now, but what one of the things that we didn't touch on yesterday, you you brought up Representative Richard West. You know, Richard West had had or has a show on Tracy Ellis's ninety three three. He still does. I've heard I heard him from time. Okay, to time. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah. You know, the first time I heard it, Brad, I was driving to your studio on Kisker. Yeah, and yeah. I heard Richard West. I had never listened to the show before, right? And he was talking about Dean Plocker, and this is last January, and he he was criticizing House Republican leadership, and I thought, well, at bare, he was promoting the fact that his show would be on the next day, and I thought, well, at least this is interesting. I'll give him that. 
Yeah, well, he's a good guy. You know, I mean, I, I guess I'll be honest with you. He doesn't do any advertising with us. He owns that. Uh, uh, it used to be in O'Fallon, I believe. Now it's down on, on it's on um, Highway N near Lake St. Louis Boulevard in Lake St. Louis. He owns that uh, Overstock store. And, uh, you know. Oh, it, no way. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Him and his wife run it. Uh, he's a good guy. Lives in New Melly. Used to be the mayor of New Melly. Um, I guess, I think this is his second term as a state rep. I think he's maybe, maybe might even be third term. I know it's at least second term. I know he's been there before. But he advertises in other stations, but not mine. And I run into him from time to time. Matter of fact, last time I really talked with him at length, he was uh, a guest speaker. Uh, the O'Fallon Chamber has this thing called Luncheon Legislators on Fridays. Uh, they do it once a month, and they bring in a, lunches, a legislator. And literally, we sit there and eat lunch, and the legislator are, are it, not necessarily always a legislator. Mostly it is. But from time to time, it's like somebody from the ambulance district or like Scott. I think his name's Scott from the EDC, stuff like that. Anyway, last time I was there, he was the guest speaker and really had some very interesting things to say was very I was very uh, surprised I mean I shouldn't say surprised but I was very impressed he was really on top of a lot of the issues brought up a lot of interesting points and uh, you know really had some things for discussion there and I asked him a couple questions you know he answered me was, yeah. was very forthright uh, you know good guy uh, at least that what he appears but <laughs> maybe maybe he's not no he's a good guy uh, but uh, the other things you talked about was now going back to the one of the things because when I was not on air with you but I was listening the farm bill thing is a five-year bill but they're just going to do it for a year is that what you said yeah so every year the the farm bill is really a monstrosity for the federal government and in order to improve planning and long-term planning for both the government and for farmers it has it, it's passed once every five years, so they pass essentially a five-year plan. Now the appropriations can be t- are, are tweaked every year, like exactly how much each program gets can be tweaked each year. But in general, it's just a five-year plan. And the hang-up a lot of times is that now the farm bill includes supplemental nutrition, aka food stamps. So it was really a clever device, if you ask me, a layman's view of this, because I'm not an expert on Congress, but. Instead of just saying, hey, this is the farm bill and we're going to see what we can do for farmers, it tied federal food handouts or welfare, SNAP, to the farm bill. So essentially what you're doing is you're getting buy-in from urban legislators who are predominantly interested in, in food handouts and welfare and SNAP. And then you're tying it in with rural legislators who are concerned with price supports and what farmers can get out of it. And typically your rural legislators and your farmers are typically Republican. And like you Correct. mentioned, yep. the, the, the urban uh, people are typically Democratic. So in other words, they sort of neutralize each other, right? So. It is. And you know what? Now, the downside, and critics would say, if pe- folks who are libertarians and folks who generally just hate government spending overall would say that this leads to a monstrosity of a bill in which you have handouts or, you know, they're phrased as price supports for, quote, corporate agriculture and then also for federal wef- welfare programs. You know, so go ahead. No, I was going to say the the thing that bothers me a little bit about farmers, and maybe this is just anecdotal, but the crap transmitter site, if you know where it's at, down in right. Highway 47, I'm surrounded by farms. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm the only, except for the airport across the street, everything around me is farms. And I have been to a meeting, and I won't tell you what the meeting was because you get a kick out of that. But I've been to a meeting where all the farmers showed up to meet me at a meeting. They weren't happy with me, but (laughs) they invited me to a meeting and I showed up. I was the youngest guy in the room by about 10 years, and I'm not a young guy. Yeah. And I looked around the room and I thought to myself, 
where's the next generation of farmers? It's a uh, great question. There were there. I mean, you know, and and next time you drive, you're out in the in you know in the, in the farmland out in the rural area, and you see a farmer out there in a tractor, take a look at him and yeah. judge how old he is. Now, I know there's a new generation coming up, but. There are a lot of industries, and for example, the, the business we're in right now, the radio business, there's not a lot of young people coming into this business. Yeah. And even to the point where the Society of Broadcast Engineers, which is a group uh, which um, you know is more of a, of a, it's not really a trade organization, it's more of a, an organization to help engineers. They have a lot of different seminars and things like that uh, you know, to keep engineers uh, abreast on trends and equipment, stuff like that. Um, a couple of years ago, they did a research on the average age of the broadcast engineer, and it was 63. So you're going like, that's not good if the average age in any profession is 63. You know what I'm saying? I learned from you yesterday, Brad. You couldn't be an air traffic controller at that age. 56. That's for sure. Yeah, 56. Matter of fact, uh, one of my, you know, I'll double check that again. Uh, but the reason I know that is when my one of my sons was in Cub Scouts, and one of the other, one of his his friends in Cub Scouts, his father was an ATC out at Lambert. And we got talking about that. And at the time, he was, I think he was probably about 42, 43 or something like that. Younger guy. And sort of your age. And he talked about that he'd been doing it for 10 years and he only had like another 12 to go. And I go, yeah. And I thought, I said, well, you're not that old, are you? And he says, mandatory retirement age, 56. And I yeah. go, really? I, I mean, I hope I hope they have something planned for him after that. I mean, you bring up a great point about the farmers, though. And, you know, Missouri Farm Bureau does a great job. They have a program called Young Farmers and Ranchers. I assume it's replicated in other states. I, I assume it's a national thing. But it, to do exactly what you referenced there, Brad, which is to encourage young people to stay on the farm. Because for decades, we've had young people that want nothing to do with managing their parents' farm, no matter how long that land has been in the family. Well, I think so. It, so it, I mean, it just leads to more and more farm consolidation. So if the average farm in Missouri year, a decade ago was 500 acres, it creeps up to 750 acres. It creeps up to a thousand acres. And folks can debate whether or not that's good or not. Well, I think part of the situation there too is John, as you'll realize, because you're a relatively young father. You've got kids, but they're not near my kids' age. But I think, and I'm I'm emblematic of that as well too. There's certain things that I will not do. Because my parents did it. And Absolutely, I yeah. See, I, yeah. See, I see the situation with my kids. They won't do a lot of things I've done, like start a business or, you know, and that yeah. kind of stuff. They want to have we, a job. We a lot of, I, we've seen that replicate, and I think you and I have talked about it, or at least we mentioned this on, on email one time. But there was a, a photographer here in St. Louis, Artiga Photography. That did all the photography for downtown St. Louis, right, right, a right. prominent photographer, and his daughter, Maddie Artiga, moved out to California and did digital art and did a whole bunch of really cool creative stuff just because, as she tells it, you know, the idea of doing traditional photography was something that didn't appeal to her. So we have all types of examples of people that might like the field that their parents were in, but they say that lifestyle just like that is not for me. But look at what happens with politicians. Not all of them, but you've got generations of the Kennedys. You've got generations the of Ashcrofts. the Ashcrofts. Uh, the Bushes, yes, Ashcrofts. <laughs> uh, um, you know, that that whole type of thing. is. To, to, you know, by the way, we haven't talked much about that. Let's, let's touch on that for a minute. Sure. Um, I see... Lots. I drive quite a bit in the in the area, you know, on a daily basis. I see keyhole billboards everywhere. Do you yeah. do you think he's pretty much the shoe in for the governor? 
I wouldn't call him a shoe-in. I would say, and I talked about this on, on Scott Fawn's midweek update a couple weeks ago, the conventional wisdom going into this governor's race, which is a three-way race between Mike Kehoe, who's the lieutenant governor, Jay Ashcroft, who's the secretary of state, and Bill Eigel, the state senator from Weldon Spring, conventional wisdom is that Jay Ashcroft is the front runner. And that conventional wisdom began a year ago simply based on name ID. To, to your point, Brad, I think I've always considered Mike Kehoe to be the incumbent. He's the lieutenant governor. And the interesting thing about Mike Kehoe and why you see so many signs out from Mike Kehoe is just about every official organization in Missouri has endorsed Mike Kehoe. From the firefighters to Missouri Farm Bureau to any the Missouri Soybean Association, like name an association, and they've endorsed Mike Kehoe because he has he has a long record of working with them. So I I view Kehoe as the default incumbent. Well, you know now now my own personal opinion. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to say this, and you're going to laugh when I say this. I I am not a big fan of the generational thing where you mm-hmm. have you know like the the son who takes over. For, you know like the the you know like the the William Clay and the Lacey Clay sure. kind of thing. Great example. Um, I like it when you have people who come out of nowhere uh, as mm-hmm. far as politics, like a Cory Bush. Well, <laughs> no, no. Brad is Brad, you are you are you're on the record as being a huge Cory Bush. There's fan a story as of December sixth. There's a twenty twenty three. There's a story I could tell you that I'm not going to say in the air, but if I told you. Uh, you would be shocked, but anyway, that's a whole other story. Well, okay. but what I was saying was, I like the fact that you got Kehoe and Eigel in the race because they're not generational politicians. You know I what get I mean? exactly what you're saying. That's I mean, right. And I mean, I mean, you know, this is a thing that's brought up again by Scott Fawn brings this up on his show all the time. He calls a certain group of Republicans W two Republicans, and they're the type of Republicans that have always just worked for a company or worked for somebody else. And Scott Fawn always says. There are some people that have signed the front and the back of a paycheck. And Kehoe is an example of that. And Bill Eigel is an example of right, that. Right, exactly. Right. And 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 Mike Kehoe, I, you know, I once again, I heard a fascinating interview with him about coming from living in North City and being sort yep. of a hard scrabble guy. And I think his father left him when he was relatively young, wasn't it? Yeah, that story? I think he was two or three years old. Yeah, and 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 he sort of worked his way through industry and uh and through the automotive industry, got hooked up with Dave Sinclair. Dave Sinclair took him under his wing and uh, you know really helped him out quite a bit bill eigel the same thing big bill eigel was a guy who spent i believe eight years in the air force i believe he met his yeah. wife in the air force and, and his was, wife was in the military right, as they're, well. they're both in the air force together he started his own company called st louis skylights and the crazy thing about it is i think i've told you this before he used to advertise with us yeah uh, of course um, he did. and for for quite some time when when he sold the business um the new business did not you know new owners did not want to pick up advertising with him with him but i want to say if i go back in my records i think he was with her like three or four years and yep. but but since then bill eigel is not my friend anymore he's mad at me still about the crazy i've told this story maybe one time i'll tell it again this crazy thing that happened to me at a fundraiser for him where i got thrown out of the fundraiser and um it was it was sort of bizarre it devo- involves uh involves um the missouri state highway patrol well it involves the missouri state highway patrol exactly it and in- you were mingling with nefarious characters Brad. you were <laughs> right. seen mingling well, with nefarious I was, characters I was, which which i mean i think you kind of got what you deserved i you know? was talking to anti-abortion people they were what they were outside protesting because well they were pro-choice people right 
No, you're right. You're right. Yeah, they were they're yeah. they're pro-abortion people. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, they were they were. And now I think this just goes to show, Brad. It's a valuable life lesson for everyone that you want to have your ticket in hand. Well, I and I think what you're ticket. trying to say is don't rely on someone who says, "Oh, just show up. You don't need a ticket." Well, no, 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 no. It wasn't that I didn't need the ticket. It was the it was the mother of 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 representative a state representative Krista Finelli, yeah. who was also there, um, and uh, and his mother who invited me, who was very active. Uh, her name's Cindy. She's very active in uh, the St. Charles County Republican Committee. Matter of fact, I think she's still on on the board. And she invited me to them. And as she did some other media people as well, too. She invited us. She had some extra tickets. So the deal was that um, she was going to be there early and I was going to meet her there and have my ticket. But she ran late and she told me she should just go inside. And I said, okay, fine. So I walked inside. I'm walking around. Got a, a Diet Coke in my hand because I didn't have Pepsi. It, Excuse me, at about five minutes of me being there, I was uh, a young lady came up to me, grabbed me by the arm, and essentially showed me the door. Well, that's because you didn't have a physical ticket. In your <laughs> I hand, didn't right? have a physical ticket, and I kept saying, it's on the way. And she kept saying, oh, you don't have the ticket? You don't come inside. And so, Brad, you should have just told her that you got it on StubHub, <laughs> and you should have brought up the StubHub app, right, and then you right. should have shamed her should, for not knowing right. more about StubHub. I should have showed her my phone. Hey, there it is right there. There's the ticket. There, there you go. Okay, okay we're going to take a break. Uh, we'll be back. This is Brad and John, BJ, uh, bjshow.co, but that still doesn't go anywhere. One of these days, I'm going to put that website up, John. I've been working it's, on other that projects. That should be further down the, the list of priorities. I don't think the website's a big deal. Now, the d- demand you get all the time, Brad, for streaming. Now, that's a much bigger priority. Yeah, I'm working on that as well, too. Okay. Uh, matter of fact, I'm still uh, – I'll tell you what I did last night, which is a problem What I think I fixed, and we'll just have to wait and see. But I'll tell you all my little escapades of engineering last night. It's 722.